The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to A Few Things, where we give our greatest discoveries the podcast they deserve. I'm Claire Mazur. And I'm Erica Cerullo. This show is brought to you by Of A Kind. Find out more and sign up for our newsletter at ofakind.com. Oh, and hey, while you're there, why not order a copy of our book, Work Wife? And also, leave us... Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't done this in a while. No, it's, so, it's you know, obvious, right? Leave us a voicemail at 833-OF-A-KIND. 833-OF-A-KIND. We're at our new podcast home. Oh my gosh. I hope Alex isn't listening, but it's way nicer. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. I don't think Alex is listening. No. I think um, Alex is off living his new LA life doing like it's feels I feel very like Don being Draper. neurotic and, and spiraling both. Yes. I would assume. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now we are recording at Gotham Studios. Yeah. They put a picture of us up on the screen next to us. Yeah. We look better in the picture than we do today. Oh, yeah. But that's okay. That yeah. happens. It's very professional. The yeah. whole operation. Just a bit of light retouching there. Yeah. Just a bit. <laughs> um, hey. So yeah. this website we run, what are you liking on it lately? I have been obsessed with the Zoka Ceramics Pierced Cylindrical Vase. It's like mm-hmm. this column vase. It's creamy. It's beautiful. And then it has this little nose ring, basically. It doesn't have a nose, but it has a nose ring. It or like an eyebrow ring. ring or like it's whatever. It's very minimalist and chic. And yeah, it's very cool. It looks like sort of somewhere between Scandinavian and Japanese vibes, which, you know. Accurate. Yeah. Um, It reminds me when I was growing up, when I was uh, little, my my aunt was a hairstylist Mm -hmm. and she would work at salons and also, you know, did manicures and stuff. And in the like 90s Mm -hmm. or like late, I guess it could have even been late 80s. I feel like I know exactly where this is going. Yeah. Nail art vibe, Uh because that was happening then. She would get, like, gems on her nails and all this stuff. And once she got her nail pierced. Yep. And it was... it like at my it blew my seven year old mind. I was like, this is fucking so chic. It, <laughs> um, it was just like a clear nail mm-hmm. with a gold hoop in the on the ring finger, I and that's what this face is to, like. It's totally like that. Very minimalist. You have very to chic. get like a gel put over it to make sure the nail doesn't crack or something. Possibly, but yeah. she, she you know she had a long nail, yeah. and there was it was a you just drilled straight through, yep. and then attached this tiny little hoop. It, I don't know. I thought it was. I I will never forget it. In, it's totally in all of my like years. that that this vase has a pierced nail basically <laughs> yeah. 
hundred percent. Um, I wanted to tell you about something that I really loved. Not on of a kind.com. In fact, it's free. Oh my god. Well, depend tech you know, text message rates may apply. <laughs> um, Snapchat rates may apply. Yeah. Um, so we were hanging out with some friends of ours the other day. You were present for it. Yeah. Um, so I've heard this, but I yeah. haven't heard your telling of it yet. Well that part's fresh <laughs> for me. <laughs> I they were talking about their long distance best friend and how one of the ways that this friend of theirs is really good at keeping in touch is that she's always sending them this a text message that says text text me right now which is just a cue for them to take a picture of whatever they're doing and send it and they don't have to say anything else it's just like this very low pressure way of keeping someone in the loop on your breast yeah yeah I loved it so much because I so many of my friends have moved away I feel like I have so many long distance group texts and long distance friends and especially since having a kid it's just harder to keep in touch and I just love that really like low pressure quick way of of saying like here's what's happening in my life right this minute well that's sort of how when I use snapchat I think that's like the best use case of snapchat Mm -hmm. but I feel like because our friends or peers have fallen off the Snapchat train oh, totally. so it doesn't work in the way that it did for a period of my life and it's sort of like what I do with Thomas when he's gone of just like snapping a random thing and like sending it and yeah. feeling like it's very zero pressure yes um, agree completely yeah. it's one I do agree that that used to be and like it even to some it, to some extent is how people use Instagram it's not how I choose to use Instagram no. and I don't really want to consume it on other people's Instagram but one to one just FYI <laughs> and I don't really want to consume it on other people's Instagram just so that people know what there's I just don't I'm not in it for your diary but I do (laughs) I feel like this is a neg against very specific people I'm subtweeting (laughs) you are subtweeting (laughs) our friend Marissa just wrote uh, a really amazing story for the cut Mm -hmm. um, about influencers basically people who are like kind of either influencers or aspiring influencers who make, make your you, like blood boil for whatever well, reason. Well, and specifically turn you off of things yeah. because they like them and yeah. Instagram And they like them. ruin things for you. So I feel like that was like your yeah. way of being like, but not all of you people <laughs> who like no, it's pay, true. post pictures of every muffin you've ever eaten. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the thing that I like about it especially, well, first of all, I have – some in fact most of my long distance friends are really not active social media users so I'm not consuming I'm not getting that content through them anyway and they I also just like like actually seeing what their lives look like when I did this the other day one of my friends texted from the bathroom of her office and I was like gross bathroom but like I kind of like knowing (laughs) yeah you know well I feel like I also I have the sort of inverse problem with some of my long distance friends is that they're very active on social media Mm -hmm. and it gives Mm -hmm. me that false sense of actually knowing what's happening Mm -hmm. in their lives which isn't true yeah um and like I'm I'm like smart enough to know that but yep. like my lizard brain is still like right. oh like <laughs> I've like I've I'm all caught up I know all the things no knowing like knowing what's actually happening in someone's life is not the same as seeing what they've chosen to put out there on a public platform a, a million percent do you question not to do a deep dive about yeah. long distance friendships but do you ever schedule phone or Skype dates with your long distance friends no never neither um, do I and I I'm so resistant to it and I don't know why even though I recognize that it can be really hard to catch each other on an unscheduled phone call. 100%. And my friend Bridget and I were actually texting about this recently. Um, She has two little kids Mm -hmm. and she lives in Arizona. So like there's a time zone thing and then there's a very different schedule thing going on and we just like don't catch up like we used to and so I was at least like had the for the first time in you know how long have we lived apart Mm -hmm. like we haven't lived in the same place since we were 18 so like it's been a bit Mm -hmm. um 
I at least had the like the thought to be like, when are the best like blocks of time right. so that at least now it's in my text messages. So when I'm thinking mm-hmm. to call her, I can be like, okay, I have a like a vague a sense, sense of that your daily. This routine. is when like both kids are not home. Yeah, that's what I know when my my friend Carrie who lives in Cincinnati. I know when her kid naps. Yeah, and so I know that that's like that's the, time the time to call. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, for whatever reason, like be, <laughs> being tied down to a Skype date feels way too much yeah, pressure yeah, for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But I like texting you right now. Super low pressure. T-M-Y-R-N. T-M-Y-R-N. That's good. I should just tighten it up. Yeah. That's good. I-L-Y-S-M. That's right. Put them all together. Yeah. There you go. So much content. Just 10 letters, you know, saying so much. Should we bring our guest on? Let's do it. So the last time I really saw a therapist like very regularly in a committed way and was like a good patient was when I lived on the Upper West Side, which is... And it was so convenient <laughs> to have a therapist when you live on the Upper si- West, West Side, Side of New York because yeah. that's also where all the therapist's offices are. She was are. literally two blocks from my apartment. Oh, uh, spoiled. It was spoiled. wonderful. Yeah, um, spoiled. And now it's so challenging because I live in Brooklyn. It's not the same sort of like therapist mecca that the Upper West Side is. <laughs> Do um, you think which came first, like the mindset of being an Upper West Sider in New York or like the therapist being based in, in the Upper West Side? <laughs> Did you hear you got a hearty <laughs> chuckle out of Alex, Alex for that one? <laughs> that was a classic Alex. Yeah, yeah that really played into him. <laughs> well, listen, now there is an alternative um, that is also just sort of conducive to our way of, of communicating these days because BetterHelp is online counseling. So with BetterHelp, you can now get help on your own time and at your own pace. They have 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states and four modes of communication, text, chat, phone, and video. You can start communicating with a counselor in under 24 hours and schedule weekly secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. Anything you share is confidential, and if for any reason you're not happy with your counselor, you can request a different one. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. A few things by Evakind listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code a few things. So why not get started today? Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with the counselor you'll love. Go to betterhelp.com backslash a few things. That's betterhelp.com slash a few things. And now we are here with our guest, Taylor Lorenz, who is an incoming reporter for the New York Times style section focusing on the tech beat. She has previously written for The Atlantic and pretty much everywhere else you get your news. Hey, Taylor. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, we're so psyched to talk to you. So psyched. We've been following your work for so long and we're always telling anybody we know who works at all in media we're like why aren't why aren't you hiring taylor lorenz so oh you know <laughs> glad that glad that Some new york times finally yeah. followed our directions <laughs> someone finally paid attention we had nothing to do with taylor getting hired <laughs> in new york times absolutely nothing but um, taylor congrats on this job we're very excited for you thanks yeah i'm really excited to get started can you tell us a little bit about how you ended up reporting on tech and teens and culture in general yeah, um, so uh, my career is so weird. Um, I always but that's what we no, we want to hear about this. That's good. <laughs> okay, I'm like, I don't know if it's replicable. Um, but long story short, I'll try to condense it. But um, I graduated about a decade ago. Um, I'm like ancient at this point compared to a lot of teens. Um, and I was it's like, this was back in 2009, um, 2010. I was working a bunch of random kind of shitty temp jobs. Um, and this girl 
at this one temp job I had that I shared a cubicle with uh, introduced me to Tumblr. And um, it has changed my life. I mean, I wasn't really into the internet before then. I wasn't on MySpace. I had a Facebook in college, like everyone, but I just, I wasn't really spending time online until Tumblr. And um, literally overnight, I just, I mean, once I found Tumblr, it was all I ever wanted to do. Um, and so I ended up kind of getting super into Tumblr, um, which just got me more into sort of social media in general. I had some success with making some like funny single serving tumblers that people liked. And that got me um, kind of on the radar of um, a couple ad agencies, including McGarry Bowen, which um, hired me to come join their social media department. So I started running social for brands um, like Verizon Wireless. Um, and then, uh, wait, I'm trying to think when was this? Uh, yeah. So I did that until around 2012 um, when I decided to take a job. Um, I ended up getting a job running social media for the Daily Mail. Um, I had never worked in news before, but I just was obsessed with the Daily Mail. And this um, kind of ended up, you know, being able to um, to, to join the company and, and start their social presence. At the time, they didn't really have anyone. I mean, they didn't have a social media editor. I was their first ever social media editor. They didn't really have anyone thinking about social. Um, so that got me into, into the media industry, I guess you could say. Um, and I just love news. I realized that I love media and technology and news. And um, yeah, I was work I was doing social strategy for most of my career, and then um, writing kind of on the side. Um, to be honest, I didn't really find a place that would let me write about what I wanted to write about full time. I had applied for a bunch of tech reporting jobs and not gotten them. And like two years ago. Um, I got a job writing full-time for the Daily Beast and then subsequently The Atlantic, and now I love it. What? Sorry, that was so long. No, no that's amazing. It's so good. I also can't believe it was only two years ago that you really started reporting the news. What Great. was it about Tumblr that got you so excited, and what do you think Tumblr taught you about social media that you're still applying now? Yeah, well, it's you know, I got on Tumblr at a great time because it was when Tumblr was like, getting hot like it was like peaking so you know all these news organizations were on tumblr they had people like brands running tumblrs um it was a great entry point into the internet because it really i mean it was an open like social platform but unlike twitter which is super toxic like tumblr had a bunch of other kind of like mechanisms in place that made it less toxic like you could reblog things but it would go on your own blog and it just wasn't there's harassment on every platform but it just it, i don't know the internet hadn't taken a turn for the worse yet for me it just it was really good like it really taught me how to um program different like program for different audiences I yeah would say. so i had a lot of different blogs and all of my different um tumblers catered to different audiences and so um i think it just taught me like really well like sometimes i'd be like oh this is a great story or a great meme or a great thing um but i know it'll work for this audience or i know that i need to frame it in this way for it to do well on this tumblr so it just taught me that like really well and really organically and um so i think that that just really helped me because that's essentially what i ended up doing when i was you know later doing it for like the daily mail for instance what were some of those Tumblr accounts that you started that took off? I mean, I 
from like my main Tumblr, which was just like TaylorLorenz.tumblr.com, um, that I would just post like things that I thought was that were interesting. Then I had a bunch of like interest-based Tumblrs just for myself. Like I had a home design Tumblr, I had a photography Tumblr, um, I had a Tumblr about like E.B. White because I I love E.B. White. He's like my favorite writer, and I just I don't know. I wanted to start a Tumblr about that and about news about him and reblogging like short stories and excerpts and things like that. Um, I had tumblers. I mean, I had a Tumblr about technology in the future, and like, um, it was called All the Singular Ladies, and I did it with my best, with like my really good friend at the time, uh, where we just like kind of reblogged news about like the singularity. Um, and then I just had a million. I mean, I had like over fifty, um, just random tumblers about everything. I had a Tumblr about sunsets where I kind of rated the sunset each night. Um, <laughs> I had tumblers about like. Literally, like, you name it, like, I had a Tumblr about it. Like, drinks, um, bagels, sprinkles were two of my more popular ones. Um, you know, balloons, like, the, the cloud, cloud formations, uh, internet jokes, tweets that I thought were funny. I would just post on Tumblr. Like, I just had a lot of them. I would start them for everything. Kind of like how I have Instagram accounts now, but, like, less so. So I think this is so interesting, and I heard you talk about this on um, the Long Form <laughs> podcast, that you have many Instagram accounts and as part of your, like, reporting strategy, and you're, you know, served different content on each of them based on sort of, like, what you're posting about and who you're following, which... I just think is so smart and probably gives you such a leg up. What are your, what are the different Instagram accounts that you have? Yeah. I mean, unlike, so I think cause I'm a journalist now, I can't really do all the experiments that I did. I mean, like for instance, when I worked at the daily mail, um, I wanted to see like how, how like Royal related content were to form on Instagram. So yeah. I started like, five different Instagram accounts, like one Kate Middleton, one Royal Family, um, several like Prince George related ones. Like my Prince Baby George one got like pretty big and then it got hacked, but um, it's whatever. I just make new ones all the time. It doesn't matter. I just was doing it as an experiment to kind of see what would perform well. Um, and I do that now, but less on to, in terms of like what performs well for me, but like I like to see what performs well in different communities. So I just like... I just make lots of different accounts, like for anything that I'm reporting on or interested in. Like, for instance, like with the lifestyle influencer community, I have like a handle called Sunshine and Sparkles. And I just go and like <laughs> use that account to follow all of I like to make the handles like related to the community. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Do just, you like, post on them? Like, does Sunshine no, and Sparkles really put post. out content? Okay. No, I, I don't post. No, no, no. I don't really post because I don't want to like. I don't want to become part of the community since I'm mostly just using them as lurker accounts. Yeah. Um, and then I reach out from my main always if I'm going to write a story because my main's verified, so people will respond to it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, like, I'm just trying to think. Like, for instance, um, you know, if I'm interested in this, like, side of the gaming community, I just create an account um, with, like, a gaming-related username. Maybe I'll post, like, three random memes or something just to have so Instagram doesn't think I'm spam. Um, and then I just go and I like things. And I follow people and then I kind of just see what gets served up to me through Explore. And just a good way to like kind of keep tabs on different communities, I guess. Um, that's fascinating. How did you learn to do reporting and writing from from starting out as a social content strategist? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I learned like real time reporting really soon. Like, I mean, 
running, I, for instance, I was running, you know, the Daily Mail social channels um, for the Boston bombing. And that's we had people kind of covering it on the ground. But I was doing the real time reporting of it on social. Um, and so I've done a lot of that. Like when I worked at the Hill for two years um, as director of emerging platforms, like overseeing a lot of sort of emerging social platforms, like I was also doing real time reporting, like live streaming protests, like covering the Charlottesville um, Unite the Right rally, like on the ground. Like I, I mean, I filed a couple of stories, but I also was mostly doing like real time news reporting on social. So I kind of just learned it from doing it. Like I, um, I was part of this group of social media editors. I mean, that were really kind of the first social media editors um, in like maybe 2010 to 2013. Um, that was doing a lot of like live social coverage, I guess you could say, like on platforms like Twitter and Facebook and stuff. Um, so I kind of just learned it from doing and making a lot of mistakes, I would say, and kind of mostly watching other people's mistakes, um, like learning that you shouldn't tweet out unverified info from a police right. scanner during breaking news or, you know, you should wait to confirm certain things. Um, and also because I wanted things to be out first on our Twitter account, I would do a lot of the reporting myself. I mean, like when a breaking news event happened, like I would call the police station. I would be the one reaching out to people on Twitter to verify information. Like, I mean, to get like, for instance, I covered the Parkland shooting. And um, when I was at the LED, like I know how to get in touch with people on social, how to reach out to people, how to find high school students really easily. Like, cause I had done so much in my roles as like social media editor. Mm -hmm. um, that's why I think social media editor is a, is a very, very good role for people to enter into in a newsroom. That's really interesting. Um, so you one of your, one of your beats or your sub beats is teen tech culture. And some of our favorite stories you've ever written, like teens using Google Drive or Google Docs to like <laughs> as a chat. Yeah, mechanism. as a chat mechanism. Exactly. Or um, airdropping memes and crowds. Um, how do you like how did you decide that that was something you wanted to cover? And how do you even like get your hands around these trends or hear about them first? Yeah. So teens is not something I consider myself covering or yeah. even wanting to cover to be honest like I don't really consider myself a teen reporter I don't ever ever go out looking for stories like what are teens doing yeah my main interest is in um which is fine if people refer to me that way I know that yeah. I cover a lot of that stuff I would just say like my approach to it is like a little bit the other way like I'm very interested in how technology affects um communication yeah that's like my main area of interest so I would say like it ends up being a lot about teens because teens are the ones usually using platforms like in new and interesting ways right. and exhibiting interesting user behavior. So, um, yeah. So like with Google docs, I guess, I mean, I just saw so many memes about that mm -hmm. and like jokes about it. And I just, I kind of just thought everyone knew about it. And then my editor was like, you should do a post on it. I don't think people know that. So, um, I just did a post on it. I'm trying to think, I think similar thing with the airdrop, like I had encountered a lot of airdrop, you know, stuff because uh, I keep my airdrop open just to see what's up you know at like concerts and stuff <laughs> I like to see the memes um so it's kind of just yeah it's just I guess it's just like like I, I try to pay attention to new ways people are using technology to communicate when you are looking when you are reaching out to teens for as sources on these stories what is your strategy um I mean a lot of the trends I've read about are kind of widespread like I I you know, it's not as niche. So it's usually just me being like, 
hey, like, what's up? Or I saw you post this, like, meme about airdrops. Can you talk to me about it? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's like me, like, DMing people and tweeting people and commenting on their Instagram. It's kind of, like, very and do you have all to, over the place. Do you have to modulate into teen talk to get them to be responsive? No, oh, my God, opposite. <laughs> no, I don't want them to – no, 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 no. <laughs> no. So you're very professional and uh, so that they understand what they're getting into when they go on the record. I mean, I also don't want them to think that I'm, like, some casual, like, person. Right. Like, um, I want them to, you know, know that I – I'm a reporter at a major news organization and an adult woman. Um, and that's good. Um, Let's jump. You know, here's something we want to here's mm-hmm. something we want to make sure we get to yes. while we're talking to you. Can you tell us everything we need to know about TikTok, Taylor? Oh, because please. Yeah. Erica and I both revealed like that and we didn't know this about the other one that we'd both been like saving different explainers about TikTok for weeks now and neither of us had actually just taken the time to read them and we were like we know nothing about this. I finally thing. read yours this morning for The Atlantic mm-hmm. and it was wonderful, but I feel like I still need more. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, well if you feel like you need more, you should also read um Callan Rosenblatt who's at NBC. She's written a bunch of great explainers and Rebecca Jennings at Vox did like a full explainer and I think it's on today explained too. I think Rebecca's on there. Okay. So both of them are also like I feel like they've done I I've written a couple pieces about it, but I feel like both um Callan and Rebecca have done like really good kind of like overviews and like also both of them have also covered TikTok so much so I like I'm always linking to their stuff too but um I mean TikTok is wild um it's it's my favorite platform just because it's so weird um and different than you know Twitter and Instagram um but uh yeah let me try to think how to explain I mean it's a short form video app you can post videos anywhere from 15 seconds to a minute long you can also live stream on it um they have like a really robust suite of editing tools so you can make like really funny, weird, meme videos with it. Um, and they've spent like an insane amount of money. I mean, they spent a billion dollars last year in marketing alone, um, growing it and kind of expanding it into the U.S., which is, I think, why we've you know seen such growth. And are we all going to end up on it soon? Like, do we need to be paying attention or is it going to stick to Do we to need to download it today or can we wait? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It, it, right now, they're paying for users. Like, they're they're spending a lot of money. It's owned by ByteDance, which is this, like, massive Chinese conglomerate. Um, so ByteDance can afford to spend another billion dollars next year, you know, just, just aggressively marketing it. Um, and it might take hold. It might take off. It might not. Um, Brad Esposito, who is based in Australia, is also just so thoughtful and I love everything he writes about social media and tech and he wrote a good piece um, recently about kind of like the normies and how um, basically for TikTok I think what you're asking is like do I myself as like a normal person need to be on it I don't think TikTok has reached that stage yet Mm -hmm. Um, it's the way that it's used in a lot of other countries like normie people use it just to post kind of short videos but it's not the place that a lot of people think to go post videos yet okay Um, that's still Instagram so I wouldn't say it's there yet but I mean, my sense of things is that like, you know, things like Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat take have taken hold with, as you call them, normies. I think I would be a normie because you're sharing about your life. Whereas my sense of TikTok is you're not sharing about your life. It's more of a creator. Yeah, a creator platform. 
I think it's like that. But if you remember, um, Instagram started out as more of a creator platform of people very much like creating, you know, beautiful photos with these specific filters and expressing themselves that way. And then it became this place for kind of daily social interaction. So I think for TikTok to scale, especially in the United States, it needs to reach that that point, like you just said, where it's kind of just a place to socialize. Mm -hmm. And it's like that in other countries. I mean, people go, like, I still, it's funny, like, I posted a video there, I don't know, not that long ago, of, like, this funny Jeep that I saw, just a funny music. And actually, I was like, oh, this feels natural, you know? Like, I think once it becomes a place that, like, you see a funny guy on the street doing something, you record it, you put some music on it, and you upload it to TikTok, like, when that becomes normal, you know, um, it people will, I think, like, you know, it'll become more broadly adapted. It is still very in that, like, niche kind of meme place right now. So if we were going to download TikTok today, and and as adult women, um, who should we follow? Are there a couple of people that well, you're like, this the, is, yeah. I mean, that's the whole thing with TikTok, is you don't need to follow anyone. It oh. doesn't curate your content based on who you follow. So, like, you can follow people, but the entire experience of the app is the For You feed, which just algorithmically serves you interest videos that it thinks that you'll be interested in based on a million, you know, data factors that it kind of knows about you. So, um, yeah, so I would say just get – don't even worry about following anyone. You don't have to follow anyone to use the app, um, which is very different than Instagram and yeah. Twitter, too. Um, just get on there and start watching videos and heart the ones that you like. Swipe past the ones you don't. You know, check out the Explore page. Um and kind of check out some of the challenges and hashtags. And I think you'll kind of, it'll start serving you content that you find interesting. I want to ask about these like pseudo professional Instagram accounts. So like meme accounts and tea accounts, which is a term that I learned via you, which is like gossip accounts basically. Um, And drama accounts. Who are people starting those with because they think it's fun because they want some amount of internet fame or because they're like, this could make me some money. All of the above. Okay. Like literally all three of those reasons are, are reasons to start them. Um, I mean, a lot of people start them because they're really obsessed with a certain, um, you know, they're, they're like kind of born out of Sam culture where it's like you're very obsessed with Noah Centineo, for instance. And mm-hmm. you might start like a Noah Centineo updates um, page and then you might just post news about him and Netflix and, you know, everything related to him. And before you know it, it's like a little media company, you know, um, which you're monetizing. Um, Are the so majority it, it of really the people depends. doing that young people? Yeah, they're almost all young people. I don't know anyone. I mean, there's like some people, especially in the beauty community that run, like I think T by Ali might be run by someone who's like almost 40. Um, but, and, you know, like, I mean, one of the most popular original kind of drama channels is Drama Alert on on YouTube and drama alert is run by teen star. Who's like, I think like in his mid thirties and an old school YouTuber. So, you know, some of them are run by people that are a little bit older, but I would say the majority of them are run by, by young people. And are, are teenagers really, are, are teens having real success with turning these into, as you said, like a little media business? Yeah, I mean, like, people, it's not just teenagers, it's people in their 20s. I would say a lot of college students and right after college, too. Um, I mean, you could even put comments by celebs in this. I Mm -hmm. think those girls are in their 20s. 20s, yeah. Um, We had them on the podcast a while ago. Oh, oh my God, they're amazing. They really are. They're really impressive. Yeah. 
Um, but I mean, that's an example. There, I mean, they're a couple years older, but like that's an example of someone like truly turning it into this like media company and business. Yeah. Um, there are people doing that for smaller scale too. I mean, some of these T channels, they definitely monetize. They definitely like you know treat it like a media company. They fact check. They consider themselves like reporters, kind mm-hmm. of. Um, so you know, it kind of depends on the account and the stage the account is at. If it's just starting out. It might not be there. I mean, there's an account called Not Another Drama Channel that started, I think it just hit a thousand followers, but it seems to be very expressly, you know, has clear branding, has Hmm. a clear vision. Um, A certain level of professionalism. Exactly. Right. So I think if people are approaching it that way, you know, they can monetize it sooner than if it's more fluid. I never thought about that as it's like the new lemonade stand I this is this sort of like entrepreneurial angle for Instagram I mean obviously the internet has opened up so many sort of entrepreneurial opportunities for all sorts of people and young people included but I love that some teenager can start as you said a Noah Centineo fan account and consider like how can this make me rich yeah, and I mean, by the way, like that's what I was doing on Tumblr a decade yeah. ago. Too. Yeah, it's like I, it's it's the internet is. I, it, there's a lot of ways to make money on the internet, and I think young people are better poised than anyone to take advantage of that because they're so fluent in these platforms. Um, yeah. So they're usually the ones that that understand monetization structures and stuff like that, whereas older people. And not, and I say older people, not necessarily even in terms of age, but more just like a mindset of people. Yeah. Right. Um, that are just kind of scoff at it or being like, oh, they're just out for fame. How okay. are, are you noticing any trends around the way people are shopping or consuming um, via tech platforms or things that you're following? Oh, totally. I mean, I think like shopping has totally moved. Um, I mean, it moved from retail onto the internet. Yeah. Um, and now it's very, I mean, like social shopping apps like Instagram or Depop are, are really kind of, popular um pinterest you could kind of put in that realm but i think like assist i would maybe like call it like assisted shopping where it's Mm. not just like you shopping on your own um on you know some store's website but you kind of like co-shopping with people um shopping via live stream shopping via you know all these other sort of assisted methods like depop for instance following people um so yeah that i mean that's a that's like a big trend and that's i think that's like how a lot of young people end up shopping it's definitely how i shop i mean i literally bought a dress off amazon because of this um girl that i saw post her instagram stories this morning so you know i think it's just how people discover products now yeah assisted shopping is a really interesting and useful term so thanks yeah <laughs> i don't know if anybody says that before but i think that's a good descriptor for it i don't know if i made that up or got it <laughs> take credit for it, it. you can take credit for it <laughs> okay what about the the general the younger kids the generation underneath teens how are they engaging with the internet i mean those are like four-year-olds and five-year-olds yeah. i'm so interested in that generation because um, I wrote a story for The Atlantic a couple months ago on what it's like to discover your whole life is online. And mm-hmm. yeah. I talked to a lot of kids, like kind of under the age of 10, about when they realized um, that their entire life had been documented on the Internet and yep. what it was like for them to realize they had an Internet presence. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was such a fun one to report. I, it's funny because, like, I forgot how young a lot of these kids are. Like, like a five-year-old can't really like articulate their thoughts well, but there is this inflection point, I would say around age 10, mm-hmm. um, between anywhere between third and fifth grade where kids really start to have an awareness of it. Um, and it's funny because like a lot of kids were upset about, you know, the information that was put online about them. 
Um, or like, if, you know, that they found out that they had a hashtag with their name that their parents had started when they were born. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of kids liked it and thought that it, you know, it made them feel famous. Like this one boy that I interviewed um, would go and, and consistently search his name on Google and count the number of Google photos that he had. And he, I think he had like four photos on Google results. And so he felt very famous about that. Oh and my God. Wow. it was a point of pride. So I just think that's funny. And I think that also speaks to influencer culture where a yep. lot of these kids are growing up in a world where having an online footprint is seen as valuable. And so they recognize that very early. How much are you personally worried about that generation's relationship with technology oh, and you know, the generation every, ahead of it? Yeah, every every generation has a different like relationship with technology and every generational experience is shaped by these like big defining tech platforms like i would say myself i'm very like millennial um like squarely in that sort of age range and that um you know i think like we had things like facebook um in college and in high school even and so i think you know i don't know how kid, i mean the kids that grew up that are five years old today i mean i think at that point instagram will probably be irrelevant to them like i don't even know the platforms that they'll really grow up with i think each generation ushers in a new dominant set of platforms um and i don't know what that dominant set of platforms will be for you know five-year-olds i think probably something more private than these big broadcast-based social networks yeah who knows? It's so long from now. Taylor, this was amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. Truly fascinating. Thank you. Um, Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Um, we are so excited to follow everything that you write, um, as always. Thank you. Yeah. Follow me on Instagram. Uh, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> That's the show. This has been a production of Dear Media. You can listen to us wherever podcasts are found, like Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify. Leave us reviews. We love them. Follow us at Of A Kind on Instagram and Twitter and like our Facebook page. If you have ideas or requests for the show, email them to a few things at ofakind.com. To advertise on our podcast, that's advertising at ofakind.com. Our intro music, Butterfield East, is written and performed by the Soulful Saints. 